morning to everybody. Great to be here again today. How blessed we are to be able to come together as God's family here at Sunny Slope and worship God and give him glory and be in fellowship with one another. Wonderful, really is. And it's a blessing we ought never to take for granted. We might think about our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like Ukraine right now who are not able to be together in their home congregations because of the turmoil that is going on there. But that's not the only place around the world. There are other places where members of the Lord's Church have to kind of come together in secret to some extent because of government persecution or persecution from other sources. So let us never take for granted the blessing, the security that we have in being able to come together on a regular basis to worship God and be his church and be in fellowship and strengthen one another as we come together. Well, blessed we are. Great to have our visitors with us today. And if you're visiting with us, you're a blessing to us. We're thankful you're here. We pray that it's a blessing for you to be here as well. And if you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us teach, please ask us. We simply want to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And so please do uh, ask us and come back and be with us as often as you can. If you're traveling from afar, then when you're back in this area, come back and be with us. Kind of make this your home away from home and be safe as you travel back home. I want to ask a rather strange question perhaps to some people in some people's minds, but it's a question that I think is very relevant to the culture of our world, or maybe I should say to the culture of humanity in general. Now, I know in different parts of the world there's different cultures that basically persist, but, but sin is a problem for all of humanity everywhere. And so we might wonder, how bad can a person be and still expect to be forgiven by God if he comes to him? Can he still seek forgiveness and so on? So I've asked the question this morning in our study, can God save a crook? Well, can God save a crook? Well, what about some of the other sinful lifestyles that we have laid out for us in the scriptures? Could God save a murderer? How about an adulterer, a wife beater, a rapist, homosexual, a thief, an alcoholic, a liar? Well, the list could go on and on and on, couldn't it? But we just kind of zero into one particular uh, statement of question and, and say, all right, and this kind of it covers for all of the sinful lifestyles that we find listed in the scriptures, and those are all representative. They're not all-inclusive. The idea of sinfulness in general as a lifestyle, we're living outside of the teachings of God's word. We're not living the faithful and dedicated and obedient life to him on a consistent basis. Can God still save a person if that person comes to his senses and comes to God and asking for forgiveness? Can God save a crook? or any other sinful individual? How, what, what about the worst of the worst? Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But notice Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. During Jesus' ministry, to whom did he go? Did he go to the elite of the society of that day? Did he go to the kings and the queens and the high priests? Well, certainly he, he, he appeared before a number of those kinds of individuals, but generally speaking, to whom did he go? The common person. And certainly when you looked at the multitudes, 
Look at when he, say, when, when he fed miraculously the 5,000, and then on another occasion the 4,000. Think about all of those during the Sermon on the Mount who came and stood or maybe sat before him, sat there during all that sermon and, and listened to his very important teachings. Do you think there were not sinful people there? Do you think there were not some people during those particular, in those particular settings that were grievous sinners, done some horrible, terrible things? And what about when Paul was imprisoned in Rome and he was teaching the gospel actually to people coming and going, prison guards, I'm sure, and also the text in Philippians tells us that there were a number of Caesar's household that had been converted to Christ. Can God save a crook? In Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now notice who it says came near to Jesus to hear him. All the tax collectors and the sinners. Now the reason you'll find those particular two descriptions of identity coupled together repeatedly through the New Testament scriptures, the gospel accounts, is because from their particular society's perspective, the tax collectors and the sinners would have been among the lowest of the low by description and identity. Tax collectors, generally speaking, their reputation was they were cutthroated people. They, 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 they abused their position and they were looked down upon as among the lowest within their society by the Jewish people. And so who came to listen to Jesus? The tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, can God save a crook then? Who came to listen to him? Who came to listen to his message? Let me ask you something. Are you holding back from surrendering to Christ because of your thoughts that you're not good enough to come to him for forgiveness and salvation? Do you believe that you have done too much that is too evil for God to be able to forgive you? Do you feel unworthy to be a Christian? Well, the answer to all of those questions, if we want to think about it, from a common sense perspective, uh, all of us have done things that are too evil. To expect from the perspective of humanity to be forgiven necessarily. Do any of us, are any of us worthy to be a Christian, to be forgiven, to be saved by the blood of Christ? Have any of us lived such a wonderful life that we deserve to have Jesus go to that cross and have his physical life blood drained from him, dying there to pay the price for the guilt of our sins? The answer would be no. But God loves us so much. He demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5 and verse 8. God's love is the cover for us to have the opportunity to be forgiven and saved through Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to call all the righteous to, forgive, to repentance and forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 10, 
it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners, there are those two groups of people again, that many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to call sinners. All of us need to recognize that we are the ones whom Jesus came to call. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, God is able to forgive all of our sins. He is willing, he is anxious to be able to forgive us if we will come to him in repentance and obedience before him through Jesus Christ. John wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have run into people from time to time during my years of ministry who thought maybe they had committed a sin that was unforgivable. They just couldn't be forgiven. The answer to that is you can be forgiven if you will come to God for that forgiveness in repentance and seeking that forgiveness in his way through Jesus Christ. Consider the call that our Lord extended, and that call is still to all of mankind today. Consider the invitation he put out. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The text goes on and says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see that word all there? The phrase all you? That's the extent to which his invitation was given. All you, that leaves out nobody. God desires all men to be saved. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, what? Come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. The invitation of God through Jesus Christ is to everybody to come to him, to come to him for forgiveness and salvation. 1 Timothy 2, beginning with verse 3, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Father, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is not selective in that he says, I want to save you, but not you. I want you to come to me, but I, I don't care about you over here. He sent his son into the world to die for all of mankind, for all of those who had lived before him, before he came on this earth, for all of those who were alive at that time, and for all of those who had come after he died on that cross, arose victorious over death, and ascended back to heaven to wait 
for the Father to send him back on that final day of judgment, which is still somewhere in our future. Maybe a short time ahead, maybe a long time ahead, we don't know. But God knows. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, why did Jesus come? And notice the identity again. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, what about that crook? What about that individual who's been robbing folk all of his life nearly? What about that, that heinous person who has committed all kinds of terrible crimes against humanity? Maybe even murder. What about that individual who's been in jail more of his life than he's been outside of jail? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. And all of us, until we come to him for forgiveness and salvation in his way, we're lost in our sins. Because the Apostle Paul, and we could read a number of other texts of scripture along the same line, but in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, he puts it very succinctly. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Well, that's similar, isn't it, to what we read in Matthew 11 and verse 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter, 13, uh, chapter 12 and verse 32. He said, and he's talking about, he's looking forward toward the day that he would be hanging on the cross as the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins, mankind's sins, all of mankind's sins. He said, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself, or all men, the men used generically there, all peoples to myself. As I hang on that cross, I'm there to give myself, my physical body, as the perfect one-time-for-all-time sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. And as I hang there on that cross, I will draw all peoples to myself. Huh. All peoples. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, the Hebrews writer says, we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, in that he came in human form, as well as still, as, as well as still being fully divine. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. A crook, too? A murderer? A rapist? For everyone that he might taste death for everyone. In Revelation 5 and verse 9, how extensive is that for everyone? And they sung a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal, speaking of Christ in the setting of heaven itself. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue, and people, and nation. That's a lot of detail and repetition trying to get across to us the idea that Christ 
died on that cross as the savior of all of humanity. You've redeemed, you have redeemed us by God, to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God can save a crook. God can save the worst of worst if they will come to him in repentance and seeking forgiveness through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 29. John, the cousin of Jesus, the immerser. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All inclusive again. The Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, speaking of Christ, said he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Died for all. 1 John 2 and verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation or the cover or the substitute for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The whole world. What about those atheists who deny, defame, blaspheme the name of God and of Christ? He died for the whole world. I've studied with a number of atheists through my years of ministry. Most of those became Christians. That's no glory to me. That's the glory to the power of to the power of God to change hearts through the teaching of His Word. Many atheists or former atheists are now members of the Lord's Church because God's Word can change them. Can God save a crook? Absolutely, God can save a crook. Jesus said in John seven and verse thirty-seven, "If anyone thirsts." Let him come to me and drink. The seeker of forgiveness, redemption, and salvation can be forgiven, can be redeemed, can be saved by coming to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Consider those included by the terms which we have read that are all-inclusive. The terms all the phrase, the whole world, the word everyone, and that other phrase, all men, or meaning all people. Galatians 5, beginning with verse 19, those guilty of the works of the flesh are included in those terms. Paul wrote, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, contentions, jealousies, hatred, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. You see, I said these are representative lists that Paul lays out for us. They're not all inclusive. He doesn't go down the whole long list of sinful lifestyles and practices, but these are representative. He adds that phrase, that all-inclusive catch-all phrase, and the like. And he goes on and says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. How thankful 
those ought to be that God sent a Savior to die on the cross to pay the price for the guilt of their sins if they will come to him. If they will answer that invitation, that call that the Lord extended. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Those are included. All of those folks in the call, in the invitation. But they're not the only ones. There are others in another list that Paul lays out to whom he refers as the sons of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor filthy, uh, foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Then we pick up with verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words because, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. But what if those individuals repent of their sinfulness? And they come to God through Jesus Christ. They're included in that invitation. Come unto me, all you who labor. If anyone thirsts, let him drink. He is among those all for whom Christ died. Dying on that cross to take away the sin of the whole world. God can forgive sins if we will come to him properly in repentance and seeking his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. What about those living contrary to sound doctrine or the true teachings of God's word? They're included in those terms, all, the whole world, everyone, all peoples. 1 Timothy 1, beginning with verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And there's the catch-all final description there. If there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, but if they will repent, they can be forgiven and redeemed and saved through the sacrifice of Christ, shedding his blood on the cross. All of those are included in those terms. All, the whole world, everyone, all men. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's another one. Now that does not mean that God is going to save people indiscriminate of their repentance, of their coming to him in the way that he has laid out for us to come to him for forgiveness and salvation. But it's making the point that if we will do that, God is ready and anxious to forgive. By God's grace, through Christ, even a crook can be saved. 
even a rapist, even a murderer, whatever the sinful practice that you might have come to your mind, that person, that sinner can be forgiven and saved if he will come to Christ by God's grace through faith in him. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We cannot earn our own salvation or our forgiveness, but God offers it to us through Christ. Look at, look at the wording of the great invitation as Mark of the great commission as, as, as Mark recorded it. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus telling the apostles to do what? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation or every individual. He who believes, no discrimination there, once they've been taught the gospel, if they will respond to that gospel message of forgiveness and salvation obediently, faithfully, openly, what does Jesus say? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. All the world. Preach the gospel to everybody. At baptism, all sins will be forgiven. Think about the Apostle Paul. You talk about a heinous sinner a blasphemer against the name of Jesus Christ, against Christianity, against the body of Christ, which is his church. Paul described himself as being not just an enemy, but he was exceedingly angry or rageful against the church, hunted down Christians just because they were Christians, and on occasion voted for their execution just because they were Christians. But when he saw the gospel message, when he came to understand, understand it, when he was confronted by the Lord and then the Lord sent Ananias to teach him the gospel, Ananias said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Could there be any person who was a worst sinner than Saul of Tarsus, who, when after he became a Christian, became the divinely appointed Apostle Paul. Look at how he described himself in writing the first letter to Timothy in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul speaking of himself. I could imagine, I've thought about this many times during my life, how Paul must have remembered faces and perhaps names of Christians he had hunted down and put in bonds, dragged them before the Jewish authorities, and on occasion even voted that they would be put to death just because they were Christians. I could imagine how tears must have come to his eyes different times during his life, remembering different individuals and what he had done and how he must have lamented, what did I do? God, his grace could forgive even him. And Paul wrote, this is a faith 
faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Of whom I am chief. He said, I'm the chief of all sinners. I obtained mercy that Jesus Christ might show long-suffering patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And his point is, if God could forgive me, the worst of the worst, then let everyone know that God can forgive you, no matter how, no matter how bad you think you are. And so the question for each of us, will you come to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation today? Will you accept that invitation, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, for the rest for your soul? Will you come in repentance, repenting, turning away from your sins, making up your mind, and surrendering to him to be buried with him in the waters of baptism so the blood that he shed on the cross can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins so that you can rise up from that watery grave reborn spiritually dead to those old sins and begin to walk that new life Romans 6 verses 3 through 5 Jesus came for you God's waiting for you. Will you come today as we stand together and sing?